0: Dear Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the health, the strength, and the opportunity to be here this morning on such a cold morning. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would be here with us, that you would warm our hearts with your presence and our minds with your word. Help us as we grapple with deep and difficult things this morning. May we, O Lord, be conformed to the image of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen. So we began the class talking about the fact that as having a Christian marriage, we have a redeemer. And uh, that means that um, we have someone who's written our story, who loves us, and who um, is a great story writer, and who gives us promise that in the end, it's going to be a, a great story. Even though in the middle, it's it you know a great story. It make is made a great story because it has a great ending. But in the middle, it doesn't always feel great. <laughs> and uh, and so um, then last week we began to deal with the uh, the fact that um, our problem in marriage is not our, our problems, but our sins. But we have a Redeemer, and our Redeemer is able to deal with sin. And we begin to talk about how there are two different aspects of sin. One is when we get sinned against, and one is when we sin against others. So last week we talked about um, the uh, getting how to deal with when we're being sinned against. And we talked about um, the you know, remembering that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord has brought this upon us for his good, for his good purposes, that he loves us, and that even when, when uh, someone's sinning against us, there's no reason for panic, there's no reason for outrage. Um, God is still on his throne. And, um, and we have to, you know, accept that as from the Lord not that you don't do anything about it I don't mean that at all just that as you do something about it you don't do it out of panic or out of fear or even out of self preservation you do it out of love and one thing that I didn't really go into last week too much was we talked at the very end about fear and uh, how we can't be driven by fear Um, and you know so we talked about Maybe a little little bit about the extreme of being afraid of physical danger which occurs in marriages sometimes, but you know m- much more common than that is being afraid of of the other person's disfavor or of their anger, and how easy it is for us to um, operate not out of love but out of not wanting to get them angry at us and so a lot of things just go undealt with even subjects I mean honestly we had subjects that for a long time we just never talked about because they were um, under the surface every time we got it close to that lake you know, it would be like, okay, avoid this one. That's not a healthy relationship. And um, so, but that means that we have to be able to have someone uh, angry at us and not panic and be able to be at peace. Now that is a uh, um, not an easy thing to do, but it's actually one of the keys to being a good parent, if, you're, if you can be at peace when your child is angry with you, then you can be a good parent. But if your child can disturb you by being angry at you, then they can control you. Because then you're trying to avoid their anger and you're adapting what you do. You're adapting your parenting to their anger. And ultimately, they can be in, in control. Only when we are able to be calm when someone else is angry with us, are we really able to love them. I, you know, um, it's so easy. Well, we're going to get into this a little bit today. Only when we're able to remain calm are we able to think clearly and, and make choices based on love. Um, So, um, today we're going to go into the subject of our sin towards the other. How to deal with the direction of sin when we are sinning against our spouse. or We have sinned against our spouse. Um, And of course, um, it's one of the things that we really don't like is having our sins exposed is seeing our sins I remember um, there's a movie called uh, um, you remember that one? so there's this child's movie and you know when you're a parent you watch all the children's movies, you know all the children's movies so um, the never ending story this boy has to take this journey and go through all these obstacles in order to to uh, be able to attain his goal. And one time he, he gets to this valley and in order to enter the valley, he has to, he has to look in this mirror. And in the mirror, he's, you see yourself for what you really are. And no one wants to do this. You know, It's like people will die before they will look in this mirror and see what they're really like. And of course, he has the courage to do so. But the point is, it picks up on the fact that as human beings, there's a part of us that just doesn't want to really see what we're like. But when you're married, your spouse sees what you're like. And so for us <clears throat> to be able to grow, we have to be able to see ourselves for what we're like, really like through the eyes of our spouse. And uh, so this is a very painful thing and a very um, humbling thing. But it's, it's really uh, not a matter of insight or intelligence. It's just a matter of pride and a willingness for God to say hard things to us. Um, some people can virtually never get the words I'm sorry out of their mouths. And, you know, even in TV shows you see jokes made of this a lot. Somebody's got to say I'm sorry, and it's like, "Uh, uh, uh," he can't even get the words to come out of his mouth. And again, those TV shows are picking up on something that's true about human nature that is very difficult for us to face our own sin but of course as Christians uh, we have all of the the security and safety to be able to face our sin because first of all our sin has been forgiven and there's a power that is a friend of ours that is able to help us to get past it so we of all people ought to be ones who can face our sin and laugh at ourselves and um, look at what we're really like. We have, again, a redeemer. And if we're not able to face our sin, it may merely be pride, but it could also be unbelief. It may be that we're not secure in the Lord's forgiveness in the Lord's acceptance or we're not secure in our husband or wife's acceptance but of course that really shouldn't matter because what the Lord thinks is the important thing we also um, you know there's two kinds of repentance there's repentance that is provoked and there's repentance that's unprovoked when your spouse says to you you really spoke harshly to that person that wasn't necessary you could have spoken kindly and lovingly well that's and then you say you're right I'm, I, was, uh, I was angry and I shouldn't have been I wasn't thinking about the other person I was just frustrated and that was wrong of me well that's a provoked Repentance, that is, it's been provoked by another person's confrontation. But you don't want your repentances to only be provoked. Because, you know, you don't want the Lord to have to hit you on the head with a two by four before you'll face your sin. We want, in our marriages, to have a regular pattern of coming to each other. So you want to come sometimes to your spouse and say you know I was thinking about our conversation and I really feel like I was wrong to assume that you were thinking this. You know without the other person ever confronting you that you, real, that you are a person who is listening to the Lord and pondering your life so that the Lord can show you things so that He's the one who's provoking your repentance instead of just the person you've sinned against. And uh, so a healthy marriage has a pattern of both spouses repenting and um, both unprovoked and provoked repentance. If you want to get more into the... Oh my, this my... I have a book in my briefcase that I brought this morning, called The Peacemaker. And if you've never read that book, it's a wonderful book. It's like a theology of relationships, conflicts, and healing. And uh, it has a whole section on repentance. And it says, Repentance should involve these seven ingredients. I'm not going to spend the time to go into all that, but it's a great thing to read to help you in your marriage. Because marriage is the main place where married people have conflicts generally and have to work on their relationships generally. So it's a great pl- resource. Um, it, it, it also has like, here's the six ways you need to confront. Here are the times when you should confront. Here are the times you shouldn't confront. It's got so much, but it's not about marriage. It's just about relationships, but it applies to marriage big time. Any any questions up to this point before we move on? Or The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And that's not Sandy like our word Sandy, but it's sand with an E. Okay. You know, when you are when you have a pattern of repentance as a a spouse, that's the best way to encourage your spouse to have a pattern of repentance. If you go and say, you never repent, that's probably not going to do very much good to your spouse. But having a pattern of repentance... Secure repentance, that is, repentance on the confidence that, that uh, the Lord is forgiving. And that, you know, repentance out of love. Um, so, let me talk a little bit more about my wife and I. Um, you know, neither of us are lawyers. But if one of us were a lawyer... It wouldn't be my wife. Um, I'm definitely the one who's much more oriented towards the way a lawyer operates. So over our 50 years together, when we get in an argument, um, you know, I have tools that she just doesn't have, just my personality. And, um, you know, so It's pretty easy to me, for me, to outlawyer her when we get into an argument. And, um, and, you know, she'll bring a complaint of some kind. And, you know, for a long time, her complaints didn't really hold up very well to my cross-examination. And, um, you know, often I would be able to poke holes in her arguments, poke holes in her evidence that she would lay out, and pretty, much, pretty soon it was like there was no case there anymore. And then the Lord convicted me that there were many things that my wife had to say to me that that it were true, but she wasn't able to say them in a way that in a courtroom would stand up. And the Lord showed me that I had to become my own prosecuting attorney. I had to be the one, you know, I had to treat her like a witness and get information but I couldn't base the case on what on her on what her testimony I had to base the case on maybe on the assumption that there was some truth to it but then follow it and become the prosecuting attorney I had to be the one that gathered evidence I had to be the one that goes searching and putting things together with the assumption that there's because there's some smoke here there must be a fire you know, instead of, instead of just leaving it on her to prove what she's trying to say to me, it was my job to find out. So that means sometimes that some of what she said I, was dismissed, but there was other stuff that she said that was expanded on. You know, because I realized that there are things that, that you know, she's just seeing the tip of the iceberg. They're, these are much deeper problems than even she understands. Much more pervasive problems than she can articulate. And it's my job to, to go after that, to discover that, to analyze it, and then to repent of it. So, I recommend when your spouse comes to you with a complaint of some kind that your first now you don't have to always do this but I would suggest that your first tendency should always be to stop and say I need to listen I need to pray I need to consider this so a lot of times it's best not even to answer at the moment. Now sometimes you see it right away and you see that what you did was wrong and you should repent right then. But there are other times when you, even when you see holes in what they're saying or you disagree right on the surface with what they're saying, it's still worth saying give me some time, let me think about that let me pray about that and I'll get back to you. And then consider it and Ask yourself this question. Is there any truth to this? Is there anything that this person has seen that is reflected in this complaint? And uh, so it's like you know what? Uh, when your child comes in from the field with a uh, handful of fl- what they think is flowers for mom but there's lots of straw and there's sticks and there's all the dead flowers and and the dad has to take it and he has to you know weed it out and and get it so that just the night flowers and then that's what's given to mom in the same way you have to do that you know you don't you don't worry about the stuff that isn't presentable that you worry about the stuff that is you throw out the rest but you go after the stuff that is and then you, uh, you repent of that and you apologize for that and you thank them. And that's a, another important thing. When someone comes to you, instead of immediately being defensive, which is our nature, we should immediately be grateful. That is, thank you for having courage to come to me and say this. Give me some time to think about this or whatever, but thank you for loving me enough to... To bring this up to me and uh, and that's an important frame of mind to have when we're um, when our spouse comes to us because you know it's not easy to come to someone now sometimes you're angry and it's it the hard thing is not coming the hard thing is not coming if you know what I mean Um, you know the hard thing would be to keep your mouth shut when you're angry at someone but when they come in a spirit of love that takes a lot of courage and and a lot of love so uh, be grateful for that and affirm that um, and when they're angry you know um, it's very tempting to become the rebuker and say Stop being angry, or you know, your anger, your anger, their anger becomes the subject of the conversation. Um, instead of helping them to calm down, so that they can begin to, um, so they can begin to articulate it in a in a more rational way. But you know, telling, confronting people about anger doesn't usually make them calm down. The way to calm people down is to say, wow, I can tell that you're angry. I, I don't, you know, I really want to listen to what you have to say. Um, let's, let's, uh, you know, I must have done something that, that hurt you. So let's talk about it and know that I, I'm eager to hear those kind of things can calm people down but rebuking them about their anger I think most of us can tell you by experience that that doesn't do much good in terms of getting rid of their anger and then the last thing about it is that um, when you when you enter a plea you know when somebody's accused they have to plead innocent or plead guilty and, uh, and generally, there are many times, I would say the majority of times in a marriage when there's a big complaint, there are things to plead guilty for and there are things to plead innocent about. It's a mixture. But always plead guilty first. If you start by pleading innocent first, then the other person starts coming at you and you get in an argument. Start by pleading Guilty and say, you know, I've thought about the things that you've said, and I realize that you're really right about this. In fact, it's worse than you think. I realize that I do that because of this reason, because of my pride, because of my fear, because of whatever, and, um, and deal with that. And then, um, you know, if that is enough, then that's fine. But maybe they'll come back and say, well, what about the other thing? And you say, well, I don't really agree with your assumption that I said that out of anger. Or I said that, you know, because I was jealous or whatever. I was really trying to say, I really, as I examined my heart, I was trying to say that out of love. But And so there might be things like that that you have to plead innocent to. But it makes all the difference in the world if you plead innocent only if it's necessary, and only after pleading guilty. If you understand what I'm saying. Okay. Now it's time to break up. And, um, let's, let's, we have, uh, four men. So let's go into two groups of men and two groups of women. That means one group of women's going to have three and one's going to have to have two. So I'll let you guys, uh, form groups, but, uh, And here's the two questions. Number one, how do you do, these are both how do you do questions. How do you do with saying you're sorry to your spouse? And two, how do you do with responding to your spouse's apologies? Strengths and weaknesses in these, with these questions. How do you do with saying you're sorry to your spouse? How do you do with responding to your spouse's apologies? So how does it go with in both directions? So men, why don't we take the back of the room and let the ladies have the front of the room? This time I will turn off the mic so it's not being broadcast to the world. <laughs>